Now, look, unless you're stranded on Diego Garcia in the middle of the Indian Ocean, there's no excuse. Everybody has a smartphone. Everybody has a laptop. Everybody has a way to communicate. You're listening to the Happy Doc Student Podcast, a podcast dedicated to providing clarity to the often mysterious doctoral process. Do you feel like you're losing your mind? Let me and my guests show you how to put more joy in your journey and graduate with your sanity, health, and relationships intact. I'm your host, Dr. Heather Frederick, and this is episode 38. In this episode, I welcome back Dr. Chris Capanelli. You'll remember Chris from episode 21, Should I Pursue a Doctoral Degree? And by the way, if you haven't listened to that episode, it is a must I will have the link in the show notes below. Chris is back today to have a candid conversation with us about communicating with your chair. But before we dig into this discussion, I just want to give you a little bit of background about Chris. He has his EDD in leadership and management from St. Thomas University. And as a federal agent, he has had a long and successful career with the government And along with his consulting business, he also chairs and serves on dissertation committees. Chris, welcome back to the show. It's a pleasure. It's been a minute. What, about two or three months? (laughs) Yeah, it has. And in between that time, I recorded a podcast on best practices with Eva Micah. And when you reached out and said, hey, let's talk about communicating with your chair, I said, great, let me finish editing this episode. And then you and I can dig even deeper into this concept. So where do you want to start? Well, you know me. I've been employed by the federal government for 30 years. Part of that game is all about accountability. I worked two years at my agency's headquarters in Washington. And I've learned that documentation becomes your get out of jail free card. What a lot of students don't realize is that chairs have their success in the chair's hands. It's not the other way around. They hold the doctorate, they hold the position. So it's really incumbent upon you to communicate effectively. And if you don't do that, it can lead to disastrous results. So we talk a lot about communicate, communicate, communicate. And I think everyone can agree. Listen, if you're not communicating effectively in any area of your life, there's the potential for misunderstandings, miscommunication, things not happening the way you would expect them to happen. But this is a specific situation where you're trying to complete this demonstration project and the chair is at the helm in a sense, right? That's what you're saying. Hey, the chair kind of has your destiny in their hands to a certain extent. So how you're communicating with them is no small thing. Correct. It's no small thing. And I listened to Dr. Micah's podcast over the weekend, and I think for a lot of students, the problem is this. Dr. Micah talks about respecting the chair's time, respecting them, things of that nature. And that's great. But for the doctoral student, they might say, well, you know, I'm a busy person, too. You know, I work, have a wife or a husband or a significant other. I have kids. Why is the chair's time any more valuable or important than mine? But 
there are very, very real benefits and consequences to your ability to communicate effectively. And there are some theoretical underpinnings that I think learners need to understand. Number one, they think that a chair's problems shouldn't be your problem. Nothing is further from the truth. If that chair is going through a divorce, their mother or father is dying from cancer, they didn't get that associate professorship that they had been gunning for, all of a sudden it does become your problem because that can cause chairs to become not communicative. They withdraw into a shell. And so that's a reality. The converse of that is, is that the learner believes that they have problems that the chair should understand. But for many chairs, sympathy is not a strong suit. You know, they went through their programs while getting a divorce, being sick, somebody died, whatever it is. So they're like saying, toughen up, let's get through this and get with the program. You're either with it or you're not. So what I'm hearing with these two kind of underpinnings, these theoretical concepts are that chairs are human too. And you're embarking in this relationship and you need to understand you're not working with a perfect avatar here. You're working with another human being. Well, yeah, absolutely. And here are some concrete examples of why chairs don't communicate. And there's some actually some surprising undertones to it. Besides the fact that they might be dealing with personal issues, whether they be ill, divorced, whatever it is, a lot of chairs are overwhelmed with students. And if you don't communicate, they're going to communicate with the learners most likely to generate success. Now, I don't know if a lot of learners know this, but a lot of schools use the adjunct model for dissertation chairs and chairs only get paid at certain points in the dissertation or only at the end. Now, we all know that the doctoral success rate is about 50% more or less. So if you have, let's say, 15 students, you'll be lucky if eight of them make it. So if the eight that are making it are squeaky wheels, they're going to get the grease. The seven of you who are not communicating, your chair is going to say, eh, sorry, I'm going to focus on the people that are going to make success for me. They could be poor communicators, which is problematic. I mean, not every chair is bubbly and gregarious and can carry on a conversation. And then the most dangerous of all that we've discussed is that they're professionally disgruntled. They didn't get that promotion. They didn't get what they thought was coming to them. And that's dangerous because, again, they'll be very inclined to possibly shut down. And now you're stuck with an unengaged chair and you're trying to get your work off the ground and it's not happening. Let's spend some time with each of these because, and I love chatting with Chris because Chris just tells it like it is. I love these candid conversations. Candid Chris, that's what I'm going to call you. Every time I have you back, I'll say I'm back with candid Chris. (laughs) So let's talk about this adjunct model. So a lot of online schools. So you may be listening to this and you're in a land-based program where you see your chair, you see the other people in your lab, you know there's only three of you or five of you. This might be different. That's not that communication isn't 
key and you're still dealing with a human that's going through, you know, life is happening to them too. But a lot of the listeners are in either online or hybrid programs that are using an adjunct model. But some of our listeners may not know, what do you mean by that? So let's start with what is an adjunct? Well, an adjunct effectively is a ad hoc at will employee. They hold doctorates, but they're basically contracted on a part-time basis to the college or university that they work for. And for example, they might get a couple of courses throughout the year to teach, maybe a few thousand dollars for the seven weeks, but it's not a lot, certainly not enough to live on. And when it comes to being a chair, it's even worse. For example, one university, which shall remain nameless, they pay their adjuncts about 40% at the chapter three point, and they pay the remaining 60% when the student defends. Well, imagine this, you've spent 15 months on a student and they simply withdraw from the program. That's 15 months of you writing emails, grading their papers, listening to their problems or whatever. And you ended up getting zero out of it. Nothing. Yeah. We're probably giving um, people a little sneak peek here behind the the ivory curtain with this adjunct model. There are pros and cons. Pros are that often these adjuncts, these people who are doing this work part-time, are successful business people, successful counselors, therapists, whatever field you're getting your degree in, and you want that. You want someone who's out there and knows the field and you can network with, but they're really doing this on a part-time basis. And with that part-time basis comes very part-time money. If you only have so many hours in a day, really the burden is on the candidate to step up to the plate and say, listen, I'm committed I'm going to complete this and I am going to use your time wisely. We have so many episodes where we talk about refining your writing, getting an editor, getting support outside of your chair so that your chair can focus on your content and help you get this job done. They don't have unlimited hours. They don't. And for example, I had a student recently. I reached out to her. It took her a few weeks to get back to me. Uh, We'll talk about that in in a couple of minutes. But I finally got a response from her. And she said to me, I can't meet with you in the evenings because I work a night job. And here's the problem. I have a day job. I set my office hours every two weeks, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays from 6 to 8.30 p.m. That's 15 slots. So there are weeks that I come home and I go straight upstairs to my office and my wife doesn't see me and my dog doesn't see me for two and a half hours a night. This really is something that a lot of adjuncts do on their own time while they have other aspects of their life to deal with. I have a download on my website called Things You Should Know That They Probably Won't Tell You. And one of those points is most people who do this type of work especially in the adjunct role, are doing it because it's a hobby or they want to stay connected to their field or they want to give back because someone did it for them. And I say, don't ask your chair how much you're getting paid, but just trust me on this. It's not a lot. No, it's funny. I spoke to Dr. Todd Fiore, who's been on your podcast, and he said to me, 
look, Chris, nobody does this for the money. They do it to give back something. So for some people out there, if their chair is not communicating, it may be that they're busy. Yes. I mean, look, if there's a warrant that I have to plan for and I've got to execute within the next 48 to 72 hours, yeah, I'm a little busy. But, you know, there's a bad guy who needs to be taken into custody. So priorities, priorities, priorities. I'll get back to you. Don't get me wrong. But it's not going to be on demand when you text, when you call, when you email. I might text you back quickly and say, we'll talk later. I'm a little busy right now. (laughs) And, you know, Chris, I love that you said that because, again, it comes back to you guys, chairs and students. We need to communicate for this to work. Sometimes I'm very busy because I do just chair adjunct. It is just a hobby for me. I will say, this is what I can promise you. You'll get an email back from me so that you know that I got it. And in that email, I'll tell you where you are in my queue in the expected time that you'll get your draft back, right? So, hi, so-and-so, want to let you know I got your draft. It's in my queue. You should have it back within seven days by midnight Pacific time. Similarly, if I reach out to a student and I want to know what's going on with something or did they hear back from the IRB, I'm expecting an email back or a text fairly quickly letting me know what's going on, even if it's just to say, I'm super busy right now, but I want you to know I got this and I'll get back to you in the next 72 hours. And that's what I wanted to talk about next in terms of what you need to do as a learner and how doing that protects you. This is not an all-inclusive list. So I just want to start by saying this. Once you receive an email from the program director, whatever the title of that person is, that you've been assigned a chair, your chair is going to get that email. So you're on their radar and you need to be on the lookout for the first email. Now, look, unless you're stranded on Diego Garcia in the middle of the Indian Ocean, there's no excuse. Everybody has a smartphone. Everybody has a laptop. Everybody has a way to communicate. So for you to say, I didn't have a way to get your message is nonsense. It's just abject nonsense. You need to be on the lookout and you need to respond within about 24 hours or so. Because Chris, let me just stop you right there. Because when you don't, when a chair doesn't get communication that's timely, it sends a message to the chair that this isn't a priority, mm-hmm. right? That this student maybe isn't as serious as some of their other students. And then it goes back to that financial model, where as a chair, you've got to decide where you're going to put your time. Right. And I don't have the time to chase you. And there's also a practical point from the university standpoint, which I'll talk about in a second. But if you're on vacation, you're temporarily ill or similar, you need to tell that to the chair. I mean, you don't have to give the details that I'm having rhinoplasty or whatever, but just I'm having some medical issues right now. And here's the thing. What a lot of people don't realize is that the university has withdrawal and other deadlines. So if you don't communicate, if you don't sign into the Canvas or the Adobe Blackboard or whatever it is, and five, seven days pass, I have to report that to the program director. I have to tell them, look, I have no communication with this individual whatsoever. I don't know what they're doing. 
And that might cost you the semester. It might simply cost you the semester if you don't engage with your chair or you don't communicate with them at all. So So don't go MIA. Do not go missing in action. No, don't do that. In my line of work, we call it going off the grid. And whenever we've had people go off the grid, it raises the alarms. People are like, where is this person? I haven't heard from them five, seven days, which in my line of work is unheard of. And, and you know, Chris, I actually love that phrase going off the grid. And as chairs, we're talking here, hey, everyone needs to communicate. You don't need to give personal information. There were times I was chairing where I was going through a divorce, where the father of my children passed away, where I had herniated discs in my neck. You can say to a student, listen, I'm going to be off grid for about a week. My communication may be delayed, but I want to let you know I'm going to be back in the saddle at my computer Monday at 8 a.m. Communicate both ways, right? It's a two-way street. And also, too, you have a life. I'm going on vacation this Saturday. I'm going to Sanibel Island, Florida, and I'm going to spend a week with my wife, the first time we've spent any significant time together since the pandemic. My wife doesn't want to see me on the phone. She doesn't want to see me on the laptop. I've already sent sufficient messaging to my learners. Hey, I'm going to be away for a week. I'm going to have very limited or no access with respect to texts, emails, and phone. I'll return those calls and those messages when I get back. You can survive for a week without hearing from me. You've got a lot of work to do anyway, so you should be able to do it on your own. You're a doctoral student. That's what you should be able to do. Ask your chair if they're willing to offer a cell number. Now, some don't. Some don't want their personal numbers out there for whatever reason. Uh, If they don't have an office at the college or university they work at, they're just like, send me emails. I don't like that. I think there should be redundancy, like in space missions. You know, there's like five or six computers to do every single task because if three fail, you still have another three. So that's something that you might want to ask for. Yeah, you know, Chris, there's so many different personality types. And these are things for people to think about if you're in a position where you actually get to choose your chair. And if not, once a chair is assigned to you, that you take some time understanding these things. I absolutely work with faculty who will say, under no circumstances would I give out my cell phone number. For me, I'm like you. I will say to my students, after you submit something to the classroom or if you email it to me, will you text me? Because I want to make sure that I get it. I don't want anything falling through the cracks because I know every day counts. So for me, it's like you said, it's like a safety. Right. Well, well, St. Thomas University has a strict turnaround time for chairs and committee members. So, yeah, time is of the essence. And that's my job as a chair is to keep the ball rolling. Yeah, I think chairs and students are getting a lot of ideas here, like really practical tips of how do you keep the communication going and how do you make sure things don't fall through the cracks? Now, Chris, what if there's a student out there that doesn't have an engaged chair? You have some tips about, what do you call it, the get out of jail free card. The get out of jail free card. So what I would first say is, Document all informal, non-written communication in a journal. We call it the little black book. Something tangible. Yeah, on such and such a day, I called Chair Smith and left him a message. No response. On such and such a date and such and such a time, I did this. 
documentation, documentation, documentation. On your behalf, you have to respond to all emails, texts, and phone calls. And for emails, little secret called delivery and red receipts, use them. So make sure that you click delivery receipt requested, red receipt requested. You'll know that the other side got it and attend scheduled status conferences on time. Like I discussed earlier, chairs schedule hours at their convenience and they have a very limited number. I'm approaching my max now. If I end up with more than 15 students now, and what I used to do is I used to give students an hour. I can't do that anymore. They get 25 minutes every two weeks because I need the five minute break rolling from student to student to student. And I've got a lot of things I need to remember. What's the problem statement of this one? What's the title of this one? Where's this person at in the dissertation plan? Do I have the IRB for you today? Lots of moving parts going on. Never mind the fact that I'm arresting some criminal at six o'clock tomorrow morning in my day job. So that's a lot of things uh, to think about. Complete your benchmarks on time and notify your chair of those benchmarks. So if you're done with chapter one and it's ready for upload for committee review, let them let them know. So let's start with keeping this journal. Now, I do that as a chair. Do you keep a journal of what's going on with your students as well? Or do you just ask them to? I, I confess that I don't. In St. Thomas University, we have discussion questions that they are to answer. Where are you stuck? What are you doing? When are you meeting next? You know, it's a very basic question that I just kind of get a feel for it. Again, honestly, if I had to sit there and write down, in addition to holding all my meetings, I have 15. You as the learner have one yourself. Right. I, I just don't have the time to sit there and write every little thing that's going on in every learner's life. Well, and you've got a system that's helping you track. For me, I always chair way fewer than 15. But what I keep notes of, and I've done this in like a little black book, the last thing, this student's working on their problem statement. This student's submitted to the IRB. This student is waiting for feedback because otherwise, like you said, there's so many moving parts. I think a best practice, though, truly is, like you just said, there's one student who's just dealing with one chair. The chair is dealing with multiple students, not to mention the committees that they sit on, right, for other students. So I sit I, at St. Thomas, I chair five and I sit on another two committees. And what I do is I create folders in my mailbox and I have every single email I have ever sent. It's funny. We have somebody at St. Thomas University, Dr. Tim Stafford, who at one of our monthly colloquiums, dissertation chairs, he goes, yeah, I send out about 100 emails a week. 100 emails a week. I said, what? He goes, you work for the government, why? <laughs> documentation, documentation, documentation. He shows that he's engaged. He knows his students. And he had at one time 25 students. And he had to remember. So he would send emails. Hey, how's that, you know, the title? Have you re removed the words that were making it too long or stuff like that? And if the students were not responding to him, it's like, well, you know, I was engaged. 
It's not like I didn't know who you were and you were some faceless individual to me. And this documentation is so important for both sides because there might be a point where the chair is working with the university to determine whether or not the student should remain in the program. Or right. there may be a point where the student is saying, this chair is unengaged and I need a new chair. And having been in a role where I have faculty coming to me saying, this student needs to leave, and I have students coming to me saying, this chair hates me and they're blocking my graduation, someone is going to ask for evidence, right? Exactly. I need to make a decision. There is someone, you called it the upline, right? There's someone who the chair reports to. There's someone right. that is responsible for that student in the program to the accreditors who has to make a decision. Are we going to replace the chair? Is this student going to remain in the program? So it's really imperative that both the student and chair keep a reasonable amount of documentation. Well, there's a delicate balance here. And, and remember, you don't want to beat up on your chair. As Dr. Micah said, you want the chair on your side. You do not want to turn them into the enemy. Look, if you don't get a response to a message within, let's say, 72 hours, gentle reminders are no problem. Hey, you know, I, maybe you didn't get my message. I'm just following up. If you don't get a response within 24 to 48 hours, now I would say this, go and check. Did you miss a message on the announcements board? Did you miss an all hands email? I send emails like blind carbon copies. Hey, I'm going to be on vacation, blah, 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 blah. I'm currently away. I'm dealing with a medical issue. Check your junk folders and make sure you didn't miss anything uh, first. Now, sometimes some chairs won't even waste time. So if they upload their comments on a draft, let's say, of chapter one, it just might be there. Check your learning bulletin board and see if the item in question is there. I don't like that approach, but some professors do that. They don't engage in small talk. Now, if there's still no response, here's where you need to know your chain of command and email accordingly. Gentle language, you know, hey, is my chair okay? I haven't heard from them in some time. I'm gonna tell you a true story. Last December, my cousin, I had written him four emails and sent him three text messages. And it was very unlikely not to get back to me. I finally reached out to his sister-in-law December 20th, he was on his deathbed from stage four cancer. He died the next day. And you know what? That happens. And we'll talk about what happens if the unthinkable happens. So don't wait an excessive period of time. Elevate incrementally. And then look, let them know what's going on with you from the innocuous to the serious. Now, getting back to the unthinkable. I had a friend of mine who I went to high school with. He was at doctoral studies, I think the university uh, in British Columbia. His chair died, just died. You and know. you know, Chris, I know this probably sounds really like people are going, gosh, this is so dark. But listen, the people who are really, really skilled and experienced at this work are that because they've been around for a while. So typically your committee is going to be made up of people who are middle-aged or older, and things do happen. And I love your advice. Cross your T's, dot your I's, check everything before you go to the upline. Use language like, hey, you know, it's been 10 days. I haven't heard from my chair. You know, I'm checking to see if everything's okay. 
versus the raging email of how dare this chair, because I can't tell you, I have been in that situation more than once where I have seen these emails full of rage only to reach out to the chair and have to get a hold of their family to find out that they had passed away or they yeah. were in the hospital. Special operations uh, mantra, slow is fast, fast is smooth. Yeah. You know, don't, don't get involved in the raging mentality because it's not going to do you any good. Have a plan, okay? First of all, your chair dies or is gravely ill and has to resign from the university or retire. Give it some time. Learn the art of communication. Zen becomes your friend. Do not say, well, I, I got to have a chair and I got to have him tomorrow. Hey, we're dealing with our, our grief, our emotions too. Let's revisit this in a week or so. You just might have to do that. But again, if you have a chair who is simply disengaged for whatever reason, they just don't care anymore. Now, you are possibly faced, if, if you're placed on academic probation erroneously, or you're running out of money in your program, and you need to file some kind of administrative or legal action, all of that documentation becomes your get out of jail free card because accreditation bodies, state education departments, attorneys, love documentation. They love to see, hey, what did you do as the student to reach your chair and further your learning? And if you've got that, you have protected yourself with great diligence going forward. And I would say, along with this documentation, sometimes you might need a reality check. It's one thing to be able to document I sent an email, I got no response. I posted to the classroom, I got no response. I submitted a draft, 20 days went by, I got no response. That's pretty black and white. I've seen a lot of documentation come to me from students saying, my chair is not communicating with me and telling me what I need to do and they're not helping me move forward. This document keeps getting sent back to me for revision. I will ask to see, I want to see your last draft with their comments, and I want to see how you addressed them. So maybe a change matrix, right? So we've got kind of the real tactical, are they communicating? Are they following the university's guidelines for feedback? And then we have the feedback that they're giving. And more often than not, I got to say this, nine times out of 10, when a student has approached me saying, I want a new chair because they're not engaged, they're not helping me, all these things, nine times out of 10 the evidence isn't there. So you might be feeling like you have a disengaged chair who's not communicating, but really look at the evidence that you have, maybe get a peer involved to look at the evidence with you and see, is there something that you're not wanting to see here in terms of making the revisions that need to be made for your document versus they simply aren't responding to my email. Those are two totally different reasons that you're going up the chain of command. Right. I'll give you a simple example. St. Thomas University uses a matrix box above every section of the chapter. And it's amazing how many students we tell them in the dissertation manual, begin the paragraph like this. It is not known if, it is unclear. And they go off writing something 
in a totally different direction. So when I give them the feedback that this element is not met with a no, well, what do you mean I didn't meet that? Because you were told to start with a declarative statement. And let me tell you something, if you're at some other institution, St. Thomas, I'm this shameless plug here, St. Thomas makes it easy. They put a lot of time and a lot of effort into making it easy for the student. I have friends of mine who graduated from other schools. They didn't give us anything like this. I had to figure this out on my own. So when you talk about communication, yeah, communication, read the stuff. Listen to what your chair is saying. You'll save yourself a lot of grief. So be sure, along with checking your spam and checking the classroom for communication, if some of your questions, you feel like they aren't getting answered, check the handbooks, check the templates, be Mm -hmm. an independent scholar, take responsibility for this decision that you've made to pursue your doctorate. Like you said, there's this fine balance here of where the chair comes in and how much the chair leads, but the chair is looking for the student to take responsibility, understanding We know you've never done this before, but there's got to be this dance between you showing up and the chair showing up and communicating about what's happening during the whole process. Well, truth be told, when you say you've never done this before, when I first came back from Special Agent Academy back in 2002, Lord knows I had never entered a live house with possibly real guns and real criminals. And... There's nothing to prepare you for that. You have to take whatever training, whatever the manual says, whatever fake scenarios they put you through at the academy. And now you have to apply them in real life. And that's what's going to be expected of you as a doctoral student. You've got to be an independent thinker. You've got to be an independent actor. One of the greatest lessons I ever learned was from my first group supervisor, James Weir. And I was floundering and I was like, I I don't know what I'm going to do here. I don't know if I'm going to take the drugs to New York, if I'm going to take the case down here in Miami. And he grabbed me by the shoulders and he said, Chris, it's your case. If you want to end it here in Miami, we'll do it. If you want to fly up to New York and, and give a go at it, we'll try it. But it's your case. And the same way with the student, it's your dissertation. All I'm going to do is steer you, give you a framework, but in the end, you've got to go through the door. I love that. It's your degree. It's your capstone project. You have to own it. Right. So Chris, any final words of wisdom that you want to leave the listeners with today in terms of Really, we could do a whole podcast on how to determine if your chair and your committee member are giving you appropriate feedback. We are really focused today on communication, but I had to go down that little bunny trail. I couldn't help myself. Final final thought. Well, we call it the Happy Doc Student Podcast, but I would hope that other doctoral chairs and instructors are listening. And I hope that they're coming away. I mean, I'm not saying that, you know, they should all of a sudden free up their weekends or whatever, but... Maybe this is something they should be transmitting to their students as well and themselves becoming better communicators and themselves creating healthy boundaries, but also not enclosing themselves in a shell, which makes them unreachable. Once you go off the grid and you become unreachable, sometimes there's no recovering from that, much like a marriage or other family relationships. 
Once everybody retreats to their own little corners of the room and the world, sometimes there's nothing left to salvage. And I hope for the students listening and for the chairs listening that we can meet somewhere in the middle and and come to a happy medium regarding that. Yeah, I agree, Chris. Just like any relationship, the student-chair relationship is going to have its it's happy days and it's it's not so happy days. And it is something that goes beyond just an instructor in a classroom. It really truly is a relationship. So maybe if your chair isn't listening to this episode and you got value out of it, you want to share it with them. Chris, thank you so much for your time. And I look forward to having you on again with another Candid with Chris episode. It was my pleasure, and I wish you and all of your listeners a uh, happy rest of the summer. Enjoy it. It's going to be a hot one. So stay cool and you know, stay refreshed, and we'll see you soon. If you're enjoying the Happy Doc Student Podcast, could I ask you a big favor? Would you be willing to rate, review, and subscribe? It would help me get noticed by more people like you, people who know there is a better way to navigate the doctoral process. The Happy Doc Student Podcast is brought to you by expandyourhappy.com, and you can learn more there. Oh, hey, one more thing. The information, opinions, and recommendations presented in this podcast are for general information only. Thank you.